Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Before we get to today's episode, we want to introduce you to our newest partner, which, like us, is Pure South Florida. That's Doral Toyota, where you can find all of your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. That's 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years of complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. Also, in-house financing is available for credit-related issues. If you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129, that's 305-680-1129, or stop into the dealership, you work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go. Welcome into another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. We have sounded the alarm. It is an emergency podcast. LeBron James, 20 hours into free agency, against all odds, in my opinion, has signed a contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. Here is the one-sentence press release from Clutch Sports Group that was released for immediate release at 8 o'clock on Sunday evening. LeBron James, four-time NBA MVP, three-time NBA Finals MVP, 14-time NBA All-Star, and two-time Olympic gold medalist, has agreed to a four-year, $154 million contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. Finn, that's it, Ethan. I'm I'm kind of surprised. And we can start here. We're going to go in a million different directions with this. But you have to say the low-key nature of it was fairly surprising. And here's why, I think. Um, There was nothing to explain this time around. You know, you look at the last two times uh, for all the heat that he got about the decision, he felt like he needed to explain it. I mean, if he thought he was leaving Cleveland, uh, basically the only place that he'd only he'd ever known, the Akron Cleveland area, that he had to explain it publicly. And then he thought he was doing the right thing by giving the money uh, to Boys and Girls Clubs, which ended up leading to a bunch of computers and a bunch of Boys and Girls Clubs around the country and among other things. So that time he felt like he needed to explain it. It backfired. 2014, um, he was leaving Miami. Um, We didn't know it at the time, but that ultimately ended up being what he was doing. So he didn't go to any of the Miami reporters on it. He didn't know any of the Cleveland reporters at that time because they'd all turned over from when he left in 2010. And so what does he do? He goes to Las Vegas. Lee Jenkins comes along for Sports Illustrated. They trusted Lee Jenkins because Sports Illustrated, well, first, Lee's one of the best uh, NBA writers in the country. And second, uh, because Sports Illustrated, they thought had done a really good job with the Jason Collins first person thing uh, when Jason Collins came out of the closet and 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 also they were one of the first outlets that was really covering LeBron James as a junior in high school right so they remembered that now they thought at the time about actually giving it to like a sort of suburban paper in Ohio because they just wanted to sort of prove they could give it to anybody and it would end up blowing up but they went to Sports Illustrated that time 
And again, there was a need to explain it, right? Like, why was he leaving Miami after getting to the finals four times and winning two championships after the whole hullabaloo in 2010? There was no need to really explain anything this time. We kind of knew that he didn't really want to be in Cleveland anymore. Now, we had Joe Varden on last week on the podcast, and Joe thought that there might be a pretty good chance of him returning to Cleveland a, because there weren't really any great situations out there for him. And second, it was the safe play, right? If he stayed in Cleveland, he wasn't going to take a hit to his legacy at all. There was an understanding that the, the roster was not in great shape, that the best he could probably do for the next couple of years was get to the finals. And even that would be a challenge. And if they did it, it would be because of his greatness. So we thought there was a chance he was going to stay. But look, if you look at the signs this year, he wasn't happy early in the season. They made a lot of trades. He said, we have a bleeping squad now, right? And then it turned out he didn't have a bleeping squad, right? Rodney Hood (laughs) did not show up in the playoffs. Jordan Clarkson was a disaster. George Hill was okay at times. Nance was fine, but Nance is a role player. So they ended up getting rid of four players for four players. Those guys really didn't give them a whole lot in the playoffs. He was on his own. Then, you know, he punched something after J.R. Smith's play in game one, like, and it was pretty clear that he just didn't like Dan Gilbert. And I think that got exacerbated. Um, not just because of the stuff that happened when we go all the way back to 2010. But then I I think the fact that, and I've mentioned this on our DM string, LeBron's gotten much more politically inclined here over the past few years. And Gilbert was an outspoken Trump supporter. And I just knowing the people that are around LeBron right now, um, I don't think that went over particularly well either. So you add all of that together. There were a lot of reasons for him to leave Cleveland. Now, we can say he contributed to it some. The J.R. Smith contract, the Tristan Thompson contract, both of which were clutch clients. LeBron contributed to those, um, wanted those deals to be done. Other things around there he pushed for, so he's not blameless in this. But it was clear that it had kind of run its course in Cleveland, and so he doesn't really need to explain it. And you don't really need to explain going to the Lakers. Look, when he explained in 2014 that he was going back home and he was going to help the kids of Ohio, whether or not you thought that was the number one reason or not, he ended up helping the kids of Ohio quite a bit, right? He built a school, okay, in Akron. So he did quite a few things over the past four years. But saying you're going to the Lakers, like what is he going to say in an essay? I've always wanted to play in the purple and gold. That's that, that's actually was one of my first thoughts is what is this for? Why is he doing this? Now, I think, you know, the, the business interests are obvious. The lifestyle interests are obvious. But like you said, it, because of the lack of an explanation, you're left to wonder what is the big picture? We know LeBron is always scheming. What is this scheme about? I think it's about a few things. Um, I think first, again, it's about getting away from Dan Gilbert. Uh, again, a second time. So I think that plays into it. So it was like, okay, where was he going to go? Now, I had said on the pod that I thought Philadelphia was a real possibility for him with a clutch uh, connection there with Ben Simmons, with the young talent that they have, with cap flexibility that they have. Maybe they might have been able to get Kawhi too. We'll see what happens with the Lakers. That's something we're going to discuss here on the pod. But I thought Philadelphia might be attractive. But I had heard from people in his circle that his wife really did not want to be there. So if that's the case, and this was more of a family decision this time, that that takes Philadelphia a little bit out of the picture. Houston was never a great option, whether or not the family wanted to be there or not, because they were going to have to gut the roster to bring him in. And even now, they're probably going to have to gut the roster. I mean, Clint Capella may leave, right? And they just gave Chris Paul a contract that, to me, is ridiculous, because you're going to have Chris Paul at 37 years old making 40 plus million dollars when he's not been able to stay consistently healthy over the course of his career. So Houston was not a great option. So really, and Rick Buecher said this when he was on the pod with us, the Lakers presented 
a viable option for him from a basketball standpoint because a the expectation level will not be that high at least at first because we know that there's some growing that those players have to do out there uh secondarily um he can obviously there's tradition out there and it's like playing for the yankees a rod always wanted to play for the yankees i don't think lebron always wanted to play for the lakers but he always talked about enjoying playing at staples center in front of the celebrities and all that so i think that's part of it but it really gets back to what buker said from a basketball standpoint is that he can build it there, right? In Houston, that was going to be more challenging. In Philadelphia, he could, but again, other issues. With the Lakers, he can kind of mold this thing a little bit. So I think all of that played into it. And then you add the business interests, Spring Hill Entertainment, LeBron getting much more involved as an executive producer on a lot of different projects. Now, I said I thought he could still do that while he was playing in Cleveland. It makes it easier when he's in Los Angeles. And if you look beyond basketball, he wants to be a mogul, right? Like he wants to be a mogul in the NBA. He wants to be a mogul outside of the NBA in business and entertainment. And that's where a lot of the meetings happen. Okay. So it's just, it's more convenient for him. He already had two houses out there. So all of that together are reasons for Now I have some reasons against, we're going to touch on some of those. And I know you have some also, but to me, those are the reasons for, and I just don't think those would have been as compelling an essay, Chris, sure. as saying I'm going home to help the kids in Akron, like to say, I'm going to Los Angeles to have meetings with high level Hollywood executives. <laughs> it's not as romantic. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> not quite, not quite. And one thing I do want to bring up because we are a Miami podcast. I threw this out on Twitter. We don't have to delve on into this too much, but maybe this is another pod. Why does the national media love Los Angeles and hate Miami? It's because great question. they're basically, it's basically the same, isn't it? It's the same place, except Miami is is somewhat more Hispanic. Okay, really? I mean, it's, uh, it's not it, that I mean, much it, more Hispanic. I mean, you... uh, it, it's somewhat more. I think the numbers are sixty something percent as opposed to forty seven percent. Somebody sent me the numbers on this a couple of days ago. But uh, look, I, I but you're right. It's not that much more, right? Like L.A. certainly mm-hmm. has a pretty large sure. Hispanic population. But I, I think it's interesting to me because a lot of the criticisms you can make about Miami, you can also make about L.A. The people are plastic. The culture's fake, right? All the things that I don't think are really true about Miami because Miami is much more than just South Beach. But you can say all of those things. Just like L.A. is much more than just Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that the national media loves this. I think one reason the national media is going to love this, and we're going to get into this more, is that a lot of them are based there. ESPN had already built a studio out there. ESPN already has a lot of personnel there. They have a studio across the street from the arena. Staples Center. Exactly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's right down there. Right. It's right downtown, right next to the JW Marriott, as opposed to Miami, where they actually had to sort of move people here. Right. Like they had to put, you know, our friend Brian Windhorst up at the Epic Hotel for an entire year because they didn't have the infrastructure in Miami. It's already in Los Angeles. And 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 then by the time they built it, he left. (laughs) <laughs> Correct. No, he, yeah, well, he, exactly. He he left, and uh, yeah, and he was at that last year. He wasn't even living down here anymore. So um, I, I just think the national media loves L.A., hates Miami. It's a topic for another pod, but it's an interesting thing to consider. All right, so let's kind of scale back here and, and look at it from the broadest possible angle. So you get this news, and what is immediately your first thought? Because obviously. We're, you know, we're thinking about the podcast. We're thinking about, oh, first off is, holy crap, we have to get on a podcast. But the second thought is what? This is the best case scenario for the league. Um, we're about to enter into a golden age for the NBA. And the NBA was already trending upward. We've talked about the ratings increases, that they have not been hurt 
by the social justice stuff at all in the same way that the NFL has, because the audience in the NBA is different. Um, it's more diverse. It's younger than the NFL. And so uh, the NBA has already been experienced a rating spike as opposed to the NFL. And we've talked about many of the reasons that the NBA promotes personalities, uh, whereas the NFL promotes like no personality and, and all about team and the coaches, right? So that and the quarterbacks. And so that's it. But uh, to me, what the NBA now has, if you look at the infrastructure of the league and where the power centers are, the power centers are going to be in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston, and Philadelphia. That's pretty damn it, ideal. That is absolutely ideal. The only thing you don't have in there is New York or Chicago because the Knicks still suck, right? And probably going to continue to suck. <laughs> well, hey, hang on a second. Jay. There, there were rumors that James Dolan's thinking about selling. Well, yeah, maybe we that could, we could have, maybe sell, could have a turnaround. Could have a turnaround. Maybe he'll sell to Don, maybe he'll sell to Donald Sterling. I don't know, but uh, but but and Chicago, I think actually is going to be on the upswing in the next couple of years. Like I think they'll. They're, I don't. They're executing a, uh, quietly executing a process that I really like. Yeah, exactly. Even though it's Garpax, it seems to be working out fairly well so far. So Markkanen was a very good pick. So, but in terms of the other four, um, you have power centers and look at those four franchises were dormant for, I mean, Boston, not for quite as long, right? Because they had a, a bad period and then they had the big three. It's been, it's been that, like five years. And then it was about five years. Philadelphia though. I mean, again, Philly hasn't won a championship since 83, um, they want to, they made a finals, what in 2001 with Iverson. Yep. So, uh, but other than that, they've not been consistently good or compelling golden state to me was the sleeping giant franchise in the NBA for a long time. I mean, look, and, and they're actually we, moving into San Francisco now. Exactly. And that we believe team that they had, uh, the Baron Davis team, you saw how people got excited in that market. And that was a team that, you know, what won one shocked for one playoff series. Right. And that was it. Uh, and now you see what's happened with the Warriors and then the Lakers who haven't made the playoffs for five straight years. And they are look, uh, love them or hate them. Um, they're the marquee franchise in the sport. They're the Yankees of the sport. Um, you know, a, a large number of the incredible superstars of the sport have played in that or not in that building necessarily, but in that building or the forum. And now you have a, a, a two NFL teams in that market, whereas recently you had none. So things are moving towards Los Angeles. And so you have those four markets, not just for a year or two, but for the foreseeable future. Now, I don't know how long a lot of LeBron's going to be elite, but the Warriors look like they're going to be elite for at least three or four more years. Boston and Philadelphia have young, young cores. So you're in great position. Now, I know Miami fans want to say, what about us? Uh, clearly it helps the NBA when Miami is compelling also, but if you have Los Angeles, I hate to say it, it's not quite as important to the league. Um, part of, I think part of the reason that the Miami thing was so big was because the Lakers were down, honestly, um, mm -hmm. because there was no tropical paradise uh, type. And I know LA is not really tropical, I guess, but you, you get what I'm saying. There was no sort of sexy place uh, that was, that was compelling during that period of time because the Lakers were just sort of, okay, what are they going to put around Kobe at this stage? And as he's bleeding them dry with his contract and <laughs> the heat, the heat emerged and you go back to like 2004 through 2006 after Shaq went to the, went to the heat that the Lakers and the heat were the Christmas day game. Right. So, uh, you know, the fact that you have LA being a power center again uh, means it's not as necessary for the NBA to have Miami in that capacity. So I, I just think for the league, this is a huge thing for ratings. We're only going to hear about four teams. 
uh, most of the time. I mean, you Toronto's going to win 62 games and no one's going to know they exist. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's that, and now, that's, now, that, and now they can get swept by the Celtics. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's where we're headed. So to me, that's the biggest takeaway from this is this is absolutely what Adam Silver would have wanted. The story in Cleveland, Chris, had played out. There was sure. there was nothing left there. He, he won. Um, it got stale. The, the most compelling thing about that situation was his relationship with Kyrie. Kyrie was gone. Nobody really thought Kevin Love was a superstar anymore. J.R. Smith really wasn't funny unless he was throwing soup. Like it just wasn't it, 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 it wasn't compelling anymore. And so it was time for the NBA perspective. It was time to move on. And for me, how the Lakers managed to do this is the story. And I, obviously LeBron moving and sort of what it means for the balance of the Western Conference, the balance of the league. We'll get into that. But Magic Johnson came into this job in February of 2017. 16 months ago, he came into this job basically with the mandate, go and fix it. And the fact that he fixed what looked to be a dire situation. To be honest with you, I think what their outlook looked like was Orlando Magic-y. It looked like they kept getting these top five picks and they somehow defied the protections that were on the first round pick that they owed to Philadelphia for all these years. And yet still with Ball, with D'Angelo Russell, with Ingram, with Julius Randle, and now Kuzma and Josh Hart. All these different players they brought in, there didn't really seem to be an obvious superstar. You combine that with two calamitous free agent signings two years ago. One of them is still on the books, and somehow the Lakers managed to pull this off with Luol Deng still on, but obviously in Mozgov as well. That's $128 million wrapped up in two players over four years that basically contributed nothing to the NBA last year. So that's what Magic Johnson inherits. Within five months, he pulls off the D'Angelo Russell plus Mozgov trade to Brooklyn. D'Angelo Russell has not yet looked like making, making him pay for it in terms of really emerging with the Brooklyn Nets. And then you look at the moves that he's then pulled off. The trade that, that sent uh, uh, Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance off to Cleveland takes a first-round pick from the Cavs in order to pull it off and takes back Isaiah Thomas, who, you know, obviously he'll be gone in a year, and you basically have nothing left from that trade. The Lakers and Magic Johnson have done nothing but make superlative moves. Yeah, they've taken fines for tampering. Who cares? They, yeah, they got some tampering fines. They got LeBron. You, how much would you pay outside of the salary that you're going to end up paying, which I think starts at around $35 million? What difference does it make if you took a tampering fine, if maybe your outfit doesn't always look the most professional? You got LeBron. That's all you can possibly expect to do. And the fact that the Lakers managed to do this under a totally new regime, Jeannie Buss, by the way, another massive winner out of all this, managed to face out his brother and the longtime general manager of the team. The fact that they managed managed to turn this franchise around into, again, making it the marquee franchise of the league. You mentioned national TV. They will be there more than anywhere else. This is going to be the signature franchise of the league again after a half decade of irrelevance. For me, the way that they managed to pull this off without nary a hiccup, like there wasn't one step along the way where they made a mistake. It's just a flawless, it, it's a flawless bit of management. And we've talked about this some on the podcast, Magic Johnson has kind of pulled from the Pat Riley playbook here. He has. And as we've said, Pat Riley stopped pulling from it. And I think that's what's frustrating to Heat fans. But a couple of things on this. Uh, maybe this is why Jeannie uh, and Phil broke up because uh, we know that <laughs> we, 
we, we know that LeBron was not a big fan of Phil no, he was uh, not. Particularly after the posse comment. So uh, certainly that paved the way. So that, that may have hap- may have helped a little bit. I want to get into a couple more things on this before we get into the moves. Um, I think the fact that Magic Johnson was respectful of LeBron for the most part over the course of LeBron's career helps in this situation. And I've mentioned this many times on this podcast, but most of the great, great players in NBA history have not been kind to LeBron, Michael specifically. And Magic always was. Now, there were some hiccups. If you go to 2010, Magic said he never would have teamed up with Larry Bird, right? Like LeBron teamed up with Dwayne Wade in Miami, which was a ridiculous comment because Magic didn't have to team up with anybody because he joined a team with Kareem, okay? And James James Worthy was drafted and Byron Scott was traded for and Michael Cooper was already there, okay? So uh, it was a little bit disingenuous on Magic's part. But the point is, with the exception of that, Magic has always praised LeBron. And I think that that, really helps here. And that's one of the other reasons I thought Philadelphia was viable because Dr. J and Iverson have also been supportive of LeBron, whereas other all-time greats have not been. So that's part of it. Um, I think getting Cupcheck out of the way clearly helped because you mentioned the dang move. Um, now, of course, uh, the two most important signings in Miami Heat history will be playing together in Los Angeles. <laughs> I, I think I think it's far. I think it's far more likely Luol Deng sees the stretch provision than a minute of action with LeBron James. Well, look, uh, there's there's still a chance, right? I mean, Riley's two best moves in Miami: um, the the LeBron move and the and the the two-year $20 million contract for Lou. Actually, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lou personally, so I don't mean to joke, but that that was an interesting um, that was an interesting press release. Anyway, so I, I think all of those things uh, together, the, you know, the fact that Jim Buss was no longer there, I mean, that had been a bit of a disaster for a few years, right? So they cleaned out the front office. They put an agent in Rob Palenka with Magic, and Rob Palenka, you know, has some detractors around the league, but but he is generally a respected agent who knew the cap. And I think that was something else that was necessary. Now let's go through some of the moves specifically. And there are two to me that really jump out. Now you mentioned the Mozgov D'Angelo trade. That was risky, right? Because Mm -hmm. D'Angelo was the second overall pick in the draft. And that was a draft where they could have had Kristaps Porzingis. Porzingis. Now they almost took Jaleel Okafor. They were be from my understanding. uh, I worked with Kevin Ding at the time. Kevin's now working for the Lakers, but he was the one that pegged Russell to going going to them when a lot of people had Okafor going to them, that would have been even worse. Okay. Yeah. We see now Jaleel Okafor can't even find a team. So, but they could have taken Porzingis. So they didn't, Um, they took Russell. They decided he was not really the point guard of the future. They moved him to get rid of the Mozgov contract. And as you said, it hasn't really hurt them. They brought in Brooke Lopez on a one-year deal. They may bring Brooke Lopez back now, but basically it was, it was to clear out that salary. So that clearly worked out. So credit to them for that. But the two other moves I want to point out, because I think both of them are critical and both of them play directly into LeBron. The first one, and you mentioned this as we, I don't know if it was on a tweet or on a text, but the Contavious Caldwell Pope signing should have been a tell to everybody. Remember, he did not have a market last year. Stan Van Gundy decided to go with Avery Bradley as his two guard. Didn't end up working out, but they decided not to re-sign Contavious Caldwell Pope. Contavious Caldwell Pope is a Rich Paul client. He's a clutch client, which means he's a LeBron client. Okay, that's what and, that and means. And conveniently, an hour after LeBron signed with the Lakers, magically, Contavious Caldwell Pope had a $12 million extension with the Lakers signed. 
Right. And why does that end up happening? Because Contavious Caldwell Pope was given even more money than that last year. What was it like? I think 18 million or yeah, something yeah, like one that. Year eight, one year, eight, a little less than 18 million. Yeah. One year, 18 million dollars last year to sign with the Lakers. So basically what what happened there was the Lakers bailed out Rich Paul Clutch and by extension, LeBron by bringing in KCP for one season, a season that the Lakers knew they were just trying to clear the cap space after the year, but they knew was not really going anywhere. So it wasn't about the player. It was about building a relationship with Clutch and about clearing the contract after one year. So that plays directly into this LeBron signing. We honestly should have seen that coming when KCP signed there. The second one, though, is the Clarkson-Nance trade, the trade that was made at the deadline with the Cavaliers. And I know we have some people on our DM string at five reasons sports. We're speculating. Did, did Gilbert facilitate this? Like did, did Gilbert know? And I think the reason that we have people speculating that on our tech, on our on DM string is otherwise it is too stupid for words. Chris. Right. Like, it, it's just I, insane. I remember thinking it at the time, hang on a second. The Lakers might be your biggest threat to LeBron leaving and you're giving them a first round pick and taking probably their biggest problem off their hands. Like even if you think you can help that they can help you compete, which they didn't end up doing. It's still bizarre. It's like, I mean, the Cavs have done this twice now in a year, giving Kyrie to their biggest rivals in the East and giving the Lakers a solution to their biggest problem. Right. And I've talked on the pod about, I think it's ridiculous not to trade a guy within your conference just, or like this whole thing with pop in LA, which we'll touch on like he doesn't want to trade Kawhi to LA because they had some battles when Derek Fisher beat him at the buzzer like I mean we're going back like 10 years already I mean Derek Fisher's already flamed out as a head coach and gotten in a fight with Matt Barnes since right like I mean it's a (laughs) it's a long damn time ago Chris okay but but I've talked about how stupid that is that I just I don't think that should matter but it should matter when you're clearing cap space for the team that can take LeBron from you like that that is just ridiculous and i know kobe altman is not stupid okay so (laughs) so so i understand why people are speculating that you know maybe gilbert did that on purpose i mean there look there's been some stuff that's come out that gilbert wanted his own team again like he sort of wanted lebron out of there and he helped make that happen because there was no way to justify the clarkson addition Uh, you know i mean you're talking about Best case scenario, right? Uh, He's a combo guard off the bench, okay, who's a 20-minute-a-game player on a good team who hasn't been particularly efficient. And then add to that, you were going to be strapped with his contract for a couple more years. It just it never made any sense. I mean, Nance is a nice complimentary piece, like as an eighth man, but not worth giving up the first-round pick and bringing in Clarkson's contract. So those two moves, the KCP move, the Clarkson-Nance move, uh, kind of – created this and and so i i to me it's it's tremendous work by magic um clearly he learned a lot from pat you and i both kind of hope pat relearns it because i i I think (laughs) i think he needs to head back that direction i mean he clearly learned a lot from jerry west too because you know i i was tweeting earlier in the day that i thought the clippers might be a viable option for lebron because he reveres jerry west and a lot of sort of the strategizing that Riley, you know, does that magic now does came from Jerry West. So I I think there is a direct line there. I mean, the other thing that I want to get into real quick on this um, is that the biggest surprise to me about this is the four years. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that was the next place I wanted to go. Yeah. That was not anticipated by anybody. And to me, that's the thing. If something's going to piss off Dan Gilbert, 
That's the thing that would piss me off because Agreed. LeBron holding his feet to the fire every year with a one-on-one deal, one-on-one deals forced him to sign bad contracts, made it very difficult for them to go out and get somebody like we're going to talk about Paul George. But one of the reasons that the Cavs couldn't go out and get Paul George last year, and I know Kevin Pritchard did not want to trade him inside the conference again, back to the conference thing. And Pritchard ended up doing pretty well getting Oladipo and Sabonis. But one of the reasons that, it didn't end up happening was because the Cavaliers were concerned about trading for Paul George and then LeBron leaving. And that specter of LeBron leaving hung over the franchise. And to be honest, it hung over the heat that last year too, right? Because Mm -hmm. of the fourth year opt out with the six year deal that, that LeBron and Bosch signed when they first came. And and, and, and just for the record, I heard, I heard Brian Windhorst talking about this on his podcast and he was saying that the way that it affected the deal was it affected the protections that Cleveland was going to put on a pick to send back to Indiana for Paul George because if they knew that LeBron was going to stay, they basically would have made it unprotected. And But without that assurance, without the assurance that Paul George was staying, they wanted to have a bailout plan, and basically Kevin Pritchard moved on from there. Right, and the other thing uh, that hurt in terms of this or the other situation it affected was what they did with the Brooklyn pick because that became an issue the entire year because I don't even know that I don't even know that the Cavs would have made the Brooklyn pick such a priority in the offseason, even if they felt they had to trade Kyrie, um, if they didn't think there was a chance LeBron was leaving. Like sure. the Brooklyn pick was always protection in case LeBron left, that you had a piece at least. And now they have Colin Sexton. And and, 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 and the Brooklyn pick is, is, as you mentioned, more valuable to a team that's building for the future. But like you said, they wouldn't have made a trade for a pick. They would have made mm-hmm. a trade for another player they can play, they can run with LeBron that was almost a secondary priority. Yes, they thought Isaiah Thomas was going to do that, but that was almost a second priority in the trade. Yes, it was. And I, I can speak from experience on this because I wrote a story in 2015 about LeBron and what the Cavs did his first year in Cleveland, back in Cleveland, to sort of make him happy and to build a new culture. And I talked to Kobe Altman for that story. Kobe was in the front office at the time. He was not the general manager. David Griffin was. And Kobe said to me, he said, look, the whole thing with LeBron is when you have him, you have to maximize him. You have to put pieces around him. You cannot think about the future. But if you look at that trade that Altman made, they thought about the future. They thought about the future, in my opinion, because they were concerned LeBron might leave. And so and that is a result of LeBron going year to year. So he in that sense, he did kind of screw Cleveland because he made it very difficult for them to build when they didn't know if he was going to be sticking around. And I know that Heat fans are not going to cry any tears over that because they're going to think back to that last year. They're going to think back to LeBron sort of guiding Gasol away from Miami. They're going to think about all of that. But it is a factor here. And, Chris, the big thing is he's basically saying to the Lakers, I'm yours for four years. If the report is true, he doesn't even have a no-trade clause. Like, he's basically committed. He has has an opt-out after year three, but that's like his only form of leverage. Right. So he has he's basically putting himself in magic and Rob Palenka's hands and saying, build something with me. That's different than what was happening in Cleveland, which was build something for me. OK. And and that, you know, again, that's a place where I, f- I felt like the heat could have gotten to with him. But with the heat, it was we're going to build it for we're going to build it the way we want it. Okay? Right. It wasn't it wasn't really in consultation with him. In Cleveland, everything was done at his bequest. In L.A., it feels like if he's signing a four-year deal, it's a little bit more of a partnership. And so I I think he's giving L.A. something 
he never gave the Cavaliers. And to me, that's the biggest surprise of this. We'll continue on with the Five Reasons podcast, but first a word from one of our sponsors, the International Champions Cup, one of the presenting sponsors of the Pitch Invasion podcast here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. An incredible lineup of soccer games coming to Miami. If you have that World Cup fever and you want to watch high-quality, top-class soccer here in Miami, it is coming to Hard Rock Stadium at the end of July. Two incredible men's friendlies featuring Manchester City taking on Bayern Munich on July the 28th, and then on July 31st, Manchester United taking on the Champions League winners, Real Madrid. So those are the two men's men's matches. They also have a women's tournament coming as well with Paris Saint-Germain, Lyon, Manchester City, and NWSL's North Carolina Courage. And the tickets, by the way, for that event are super cheap. You can get on top of the action tickets for as low as $10. For your tickets, go to internationalchampionscup.com and check out the schedule there. It'll be a full week of of events here in Miami. You're going to want to check it out. It's all happening at Hard Rock Stadium. Get your tickets at internationalchampionscup.com. And now, back to the podcast. Can I very quickly give you a conspiracy theory? Did Mm -hmm. Kyrie Irving do everything he did last offseason because he knew this was happening? That he somehow got wind that LeBron was not going to be committing towards next year and that he wasn't going to be left alone and that he wanted to force his way out because he knew that this was happening. Because, you know, believe Chris Sheridan, if you like, he knew 11 and a half months ago, according to his tweet tonight. Props to Sheridan. but Sheridan. But, but like, do you think it's possible that Kyrie Irving had a very strong inclination that tonight was coming a year ago and was not going to be left in the dust. And in some respects, that's part of what we're talking about, right? Because the only reason why they have to trade Kyrie is because Kyrie wanted out, at least Mm -hmm. in large, you'd have to say in large part, because he knew that this was happening. Do we think Kyrie wanted to continue playing with LeBron, or do we think he didn't? I mean, because, if you have a because, if you have a chance to win championships, you would just uh, Kyrie's win a different type of personality, yeah, though. I, I'm, I'm telling you, but I, I, I think I think it has him. I think it has much more to do with the fact that he was going to be left out in the lurch to basically play with this 38 win team, which is what Cleveland's going to be if they keep it all together. Right, which they shouldn't do, which we're going to talk about here sure. in a second. But but look, um, a couple things. Um, Again, the, the debate is whether or not he wanted to play with him anymore or not. I think he didn't. Um, it sounds like you think maybe he did. I, I think he didn't because I think it's a personality thing. Kyrie wanted his own team. I mean, Kyrie's the star of a movie that I won't watch uh, that's coming out here in a couple of weeks. Okay. But but I, I, he, he wanted his own team. Kyrie's known as being somewhat aloof. Um, I've told a story before that – the year before LeBron got there, there were several guys on the Cavaliers in that locker room who didn't have his phone number. Like he's it's he's different in this regard. Okay. So I don't know if he I don't know if continuing to win championships as LeBron's sidekick was something that he was gonna be comfortable with anyway. With that being said, we just had Mario Chalmers on our pod who told us about LeBron. Yeah, I knew he was leaving, right? Like and and you know, I think nobody really believes Dwayne that Dwayne on that flight back from Las Vegas four years ago this week didn't know that LeBron was leaving. So I I do think players get wind of things before the general public does. But I don't think you had to be a genius to think LeBron was leaving this year. Like I've criticized the Heat somewhat for not knowing in 2014 when I had players telling me LeBron was leaving and you talk to people in the front office and they were like, no, he's staying. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. all right. What? Why am I getting two different lines of communication here? Who doesn't know what's going on here? Uh, Well, yeah, I'm thinking with Cleveland, like, I mean, uh, LeBron put out like an Arthur meme this year. Like, I mean, he he, there's (laughs) I mean, I mean, the the signals were fairly 
clear, right? Like, I mean, he he punched what he I mean, it wasn't a wall, but I mean, what did he punch and broke his hand and wore the it was, wore a, the it was a blackboard, wasn't it? Or a whiteboard, right, whiteboard? A, right? A whiteboard. Right. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how you couldn't get a sense that he was frustrated there. Um, and again, the reasons for it, we can debate. But it was pretty clear. Now, did Kyrie know a year ago? Maybe. You know, again, there were signs before that, too. Um, You know, his relationship with Kevin Love has been choppy, I would say, you know, throughout the years. I mean, it started with fit in, fit out. But he never really embraced Kevin Love the way he embraced Chris Bosh. I mean, I wanted to get to this stat here. We didn't do it at the top, but I know Heat fans will enjoy this. So I I always cater to our audience. I'm like Trump tweeting in the morning to his base. Um, But we've got (laughs) live tweeting Fox and friends. We need a Fox and friends. Can can we start something in the network that's like Miami Heat or Miami sports Fox and friends? Well, I think it's Miami Heat beat, right? Like every move Pat makes is perfect. (laughs) Hashtag justice better. uh, That's right. Justice better. Uh, But yeah, I mean, we're going to get into the best player in the Eastern Conference. I know what Miami Heat beat is going to say. But here, here's what we got. We've got LeBron in Miami. 224 and 88, Cleveland 211 and 117. Four finals appearances in Cleveland, four finals appearances in Miami, two titles in Miami, one title in Cleveland, two MVPs in Miami, no MVPs in Cleveland, two finals MVPs in Miami, one finals MVP in Cleveland. That's just the last four years. Obviously, doesn't include the first seven in Cleveland. I, but- I, actually, I actually agree with our Fox and Friends of the Network, Miami Heat Beat, and our, and our friend Leif, who might be the... the <laughs> I don't know I, I don't know anything about Fox and Friends other than, other than it exists. Maybe he's the Steve Ducey, but... No, no, uh, no, but- no don't do that to him. No, <laughs> Leif, is, Leif is probably the most credible of the ten. Oh, so- no. 100 no 100 I'm, I'm just saying in terms of most espousing the most positive angle possible but uh but he he was saying that in our group chat a couple of days ago man i'm pissed that lebron got to be justified in his decision in winning that championship and frankly i'm i'm with him like sick of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 dollars more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I, I think that the move ended up... I mean, you mentioned the numbers there. It sounds roughly the same, doesn't it? But I, I'm just kind of thinking, and, I'm, and I'm, I just think to myself, man, he, Cleveland, that organization did not deserve for that to happen to them, for Draymond Green to have a flash of red and you know kick someone in the nads and and all these other things to have happened you know Steph you know Steph Curry slipping on a wet spot in Houston like all these things that led to the 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 Cavs winning the championship but yeah I mean you'd have to say for what he wanted to do there job done I'm just kind of amazed that it ended after four years I thought I really thought in 2014 that this is where his career was ending this was his last stop but I don't even know if this is his last stop we can get into that later or we have on previous podcasts but I, I, I kind of wonder sort of what happens from here. I think it's his last stop. The four mm-hmm. years makes me think it's his last stop. Now, he did tell me for a story I did on his 30th birthday that he wanted to play till at least 40. So if that's the case, then there's another three-year con- two to three-year contract tacked on to this one. So we'll see where he ends up. You've made the, the case that he wants to play with his son eventually, and he's suggested that. So that could be in Los Angeles, though, too. I mean, it doesn't have to be somewhere else. I mean, I, I think if he goes to L.A., he's not leaving L.A. I mean, it's not like it's a lot. It's a lot harder to leave L.A. than it is to leave Cleveland. I mean, so so I mean, let's I mean, he left Miami, but I, I think once he gets settled out there, 
he's got, again, the, the business opportunities that he has for himself out there. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's going to do some stuff, you know, up the coast too in Silicon Valley. Like th- there's just a lot of stuff for him out there. So he's going to be a West Coast guy now. And and I don't see him coming back. I, so I, I think he'll be out there. He'll obviously continue his work in Akron. But I, I think he, I think this is probably going to be, if not his last deal, I think probably his last team. We'll see. I, I don't think we're going to see him Patrick Ewinging uh, to Orlando and Seattle at the end of his career. Sure. I, I think I think this will probably be it. But uh, again, getting back to uh, you know the Cleveland Miami thing, and we're not going to dwell on this too much because we did a whole pod on it already, which you should check out. It's in our library where we compared the two errors. But getting back to it, you're right. They they didn't really completely deserve him now. I will say David Griffin did some good things. Um, the trades that they made that first year salvaged the thing. Dumping David Blatt salvaged the thing. Um, you know, they, they made some good additions. I thought Richard Jefferson was a good addition as a replacement for Sean Marion. Like they tweaked around the edges as much as they could. And again, it was harder because they weren't, you know, they got Richard Jefferson, but they weren't going to get a Shane Battier or Ray Allen with what Ray and Shane had left when they came to Miami. You're just, you're just not going to get that in Cleveland. Now he's going to get it in LA. He's going to get no it in doubt. LA. No doubt. Like he got in Miami, but you weren't going to get it in Cleveland. So what did they have to do? They had to get like bargain basement, uh, bargain bin, Darren Williams, right. And Mo Williams. Okay. I mean, they just, you know, they went to all the Williamses who used to be good point guards. Like they, they weren't, they had to bring back Kendrick Perkins three times. Like, again, it, it's, it's Cleveland. Like it's, it's harder. And so, I don't blame them entirely. If I blame them for anything, it's I I go straight to the top. Okay, and it's if you're Dan Gilbert, how is it possible that you get him back and you don't repair the relationship in some way that you're more out there? And look, Dan Gilbert's entitled to his political opinions. Everybody is. But like if your star player, the best player in the universe right now um, is an ardent Trump hater, maybe not be so out there with your views on that. Maybe like, don't host the Republican National Convention in your arena. <laughs> right. Like, like and again, this is no, I, I'm not, this isn't a slight, I mean, any support whoever you want to support. I'm just talking about from a business standpoint. Right. Year. Like just, just just shut your mouth for four years or right, as long like, as it lasts. Like I'll get to this on this. I mean, do we really know what Mickey Harrison's political affiliations are? No I idea. know he donates None. to Democrats and Republicans, um, but he's not out there about it, right? I think intentionally he gets involved in some political issues, particularly as it pertains to like, whenever gambling comes up. That's that's one because he has a business interest in that, and so you'll see his name in the news a little bit because obviously he's running cruise ships that are leaving, you know, the port of Miami. So uh, so that plays into what he does in his you know primary job. But like you don't, uh, he's not out there with political opinions, and even Pat, who as we know has a certain political affiliation is not out there in the way that Dan Gilbert was about it. Okay. And so we know what it is, right. But it's, it's not as explicit as it was with Gilbert. Like you said, hosting the Republican national convention in the city, which obviously brought a lot of money to the city, but uh, clearly these are things that over the course of time, as LeBron got more socially aware, uh, we're probably not going to sit well with him. And there just was nothing done to repair the relationship. It appears to me. And, Beyond that, now you can say Gilbert maybe tried. We may hear stories about that in the next couple of weeks because this stuff will start to leak out. But clearly it was not accomplished. And the other thing he did was if you have a general manager that LeBron comes to respect, don't lowball the guy and make the guy leave. Like the David Griffin thing to me was really stupid. And I say that as a fan of Kobe Altman. Okay, you don't 
put somebody in as a first-time GM in that kind of position with all the other factors we're talking about, with LeBron signing these short-term deals, with the uh, already these bad contracts have been signed because Clutch wanted them signed, and to put Kobe in that spot when LeBron had come to like David Griffin. Like now, again, you got to go back on this a little bit. When David Griffin got there, David Griffin is a former PR guy. Like David Griffin did not come up the traditional way. And David Griffin was kind of put in that position in Cleveland after Chris Grant was fired. And he was not, it was at first, it was another Gilbert move. It was like, let's go as cheap as we can. Okay. That's, that's how Gilbert hires his GMs. Do you know that Dan Gilbert has never extended a general manager? Were you aware of that? No, I had no idea. He has never extended a general manager in Cleveland. Okay. So if you have a situation where you have a guy who during that 14, 15 season, when it was falling apart, when LeBron didn't want to play with Deion waiters anymore. Okay. Because uh, he wasn't the right type of player, and he wasn't at that time the right type of personality. I think Dion's grown up a little since, but like at that, it was not working that year. Well, I'm gonna, well, he's, he's had better results. I don't know if he's grown up very much. He's had, he, right, he's had better results. Well, he's got he got paid by the Heat, so That's I mean, great. obviously something worked. But but look, it was not working that year, and LeBron wanted a catch and shoot player, and David Griffin went out and made a couple of really smart trades at, at, you know, to salvage that season where he got uh, J.R. Smith, who LeBron, he checked with LeBron. LeBron was comfortable with him. They brought him in. Say what you will about J.R. J.R. helped him win that championship. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, 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 da- and save that first season. And David Griffin tells a story and you can just tell the kind of eloquence that he operates on where, you know, first off, you know, he's David Griffin admitted to the fact that when LeBron James signed with Cleveland, LeBron did not know the name of the general manager. He did not know who David Griffin mm-hmm. was. So that mm-hmm. it's just kind of the, the the place that they started at. But the other thing that David Griffin told Zach Lowe was that he always knew that the most important thing to do was to get LeBron on side. And more than anything mm-hmm. else, he could have brought in anyone. As long as LeBron was okay with it, as long as LeBron was up for it, and he said that he knew he made a great trade when Timofey Mozgov walked in the room and LeBron could not help but smile when in noticing how big Timofey mm-hmm. Mozgov was. Yep. And he said, yep. holy crap, we got a player. Like, we got someone who I know is going to help us win. And that more than anything, from a basketballing point of view, getting LeBron to what David Griffin describes as, uh, it's, I think it's sort of uh, dictating outcomes is, is, is the phrase that he used. You need to get LeBron in a place where he dictates outcomes. And the fact that David Griffin knew all these things about LeBron and figured out how to general manage for him, and then Gil- and then Gilbert goes and gets rid of him, it's just so stunning that Gilbert did all the same dumb bleep for a second consecutive mm-hmm. time. Like, you had him for 11 years. 11 years. You won one championship and managed to piss him off twice. It's impossible to do. Uh, Griffin's told me that story. That was in a hotel in Los Angeles because the team was was on the West Coast. But th- what happened before that was LeBron watched tape of Mozgov. Okay, I mean, it was more than just seeing him in the room and realizing how big he was. Like LeBron went to him and said, "I've watched this guy. I like him. I, he moves his feet for a big guy. He can help us." They had that conversation. He checked with him on Jr. They had that conversation. I've told this story about Shumpert. LeBron never goes two games on the road, right? You very early. I'm not, not, I shouldn't say on the road when he has like a day off in a city, like you won't see him at the arena. He went with Randy Mims and I think Maverick to a Knicks game while they had an extra day in New York because they were playing, I think Brooklyn on that road trip and the Knicks were playing and LeBron made said to those, those guys, excuse me. He said to Randy Mims, he said, Shumpert, he said, I like that guy. He's a three and D guy. 
He, we need a guy like that. That got back to Griff, okay? And Griff ends up making a move where he gets Shumpert. So you mentioned getting LeBron on your side. Like, that changed the whole tenor of the season. Like, LeBron's whole mood perked up. I was covering them that, that year. Like, he was depressed. Remember, he took the two weeks in Miami, yeah. right? Like, he, I mean, the thing wasn't working. He was debating whether he'd made the right decision. And Griff goes out, makes those moves, doesn't really jeopardize the future all that much. Like, they got a draft pick, and then they flipped it, and they were able to, to – they basically gave up two picks to get Mozgov. Yes, it was a high price to pay but it made LeBron happy and they were able to clear out Dion, which is something that LeBron also wanted. So you have Griff doing those things. Then the next year he brings in Richard Jefferson, which was a move that LeBron approved of. They win a championship. Okay. And then you make a decision after the third year, after they've gotten to three straight finals, like I don't want to pay this guy anywhere near market rate after Griff. Again, this wasn't the Griff that came in, to Cleveland that LeBron didn't know. This was David Griffin who'd won a championship and earned LeBron's respect, and Gilbert did not want to pay him. And this gets back to the ego that some of these guys have, and it's not just owners. Jerry Krause, rest in peace, thought he was the reason that the Bulls won those championships, not Michael Jordan. <laughs> he did. Yeah, he, yeah. Look it up, okay? This is this is what pervades that profession. And when no, you don't I, no, realize— per, 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 pervades billionaires in particular. Correct. But Kraus was not, obviously. But yes, it, it's it's front office people and it's people above them. And you mentioned this and I don't want to make this too much of a heat thing tonight, but I always felt that was one of the heat's mistakes. They never got LeBron on side. Like you talk about what happened in, with Griff. Like I felt of all the things in Cleveland that were better than my, Miami, um, there weren't many. OK, to me, like there were 90 percent of the things were better in Miami for LeBron. But one of the things I thought was better for LeBron in Cleveland was not that they allowed him to control everything. I think that narrative got played up too much when Griff was there because Griff was the one who was, yes, LeBron was watching some tape and would say, I like a player. Griff was the one who was studying the salary cap. Griff used to come to practice and he would show me like they had players ranked by, it wasn't PER, but it was another metric that they would look at. And he was showing it to me because he knew I was not a huge Kevin Love fan, I think, um, from watching him every day. I just didn't think he was really a star. And they had metrics that showed that Kevin Love's numbers were better than maybe we were giving him credit for. So LeBron wasn't doing that stuff. So Griff, Griff was involving him. I thought the Heat at times didn't involve LeBron enough but, but, but what, on decisions, but what, except at the end when they decided to draft Shabazz Napier. <laughs> so. Right. Well, you know, that, that went well. But, like, that is, a, that is a bit of a double-edged sword, though, because wouldn't part of involving LeBron – we heard the story. Uh, I, I, I think Levitar might have told – I forget who told it – about how uh, LeBron had a meeting with Riley and was, was scratching his neck saying, do you ever get the itch? And it was yeah. basically his way of saying, can you come coach us? And mm-hmm. and LeBron, you know, basically, if the Heat bent to his will, would have fired Eric Spolstra 100%. Yes. So, like, so there is a certain amount of, and this is at least something, at least in part, that the Lakers could do now. I don't know if they're willing to die on Luke Walton Hill, but uh, they, with that security, they can say no on some things. They can, and it's going to be interesting to see if they do because I don't know that LeBron's a good fit for Luke Walton's system. And it's funny, (laughs) that has not come up, right? Like, we've talked about all this stuff with the Lakers, and I've seen very little on social media, like, how is he going to work out with that coach? Like, I think from a personality standpoint... The only thing I saw on the the coach was a cool stat that Luke Walton and LeBron were in the same draft. 
<laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and Luke Walton was a better pick than Darko. So actually, yeah, it worked out pretty well for the Lakers. Um, but look, I, I, that's the one question to me. I think from a personality standpoint, yes, like Luke is considered to be likable. Um, he comes from kind of that very open Golden State atmosphere. Like that's I mean, it, he's a Steve Kerr disciple, basically. So I, I think that's positive. But one of the things and I remember asking LeBron this question because, you know, how LeBron loved Pop's offense. Right. But then the question got asked of him. Uh, we were in Atlanta and it was before the Cavs were playing the Hawks. And it was that year that the Hawks had the four all stars and the ball was popping. Right. Like that Hawks offense was Warriors East, basically, for that mm-hmm. season. And LeBron went on and on about how much he loved that offense, just like he loved the Spurs offense, all the movement, all the cutting. Right. Ball never stopping and all that. And somebody had the guts to actually say to LeBron, well, would you like playing that offense? Because that's not LeBron's game. Like it's, I mean, he can do all those things. He's capable of doing anything on a basketball court, but we know that LeBron also is a highly efficient, but also high usage isolation player. And that's going to be really fascinating for, for, for us to watch because David Blatt, I can tell you that first year in Cleveland wanted to put in all that at UCLA stuff. And what somebody who's no longer with the Cavs organization told me, but somebody who was watching all those practices Every day, Blatt put in a little less like he started with a lot of it and LeBron wasn't running it. And this went on day after day after day until David Blatt basically just succumbed to isolation. And the Cavs were the most ISO heavy team during the 14-15 season to the point that remember when Kyrie went out and and Kevin Love went out, LeBron was basically running ISO every play in the finals. Like it was totally unrecognizable from what David Blatt did overseas. So I'm really curious, Chris, to see if a Luke Walton offense is going to still be a Luke Walton offense with LeBron there. And we'll have to see what the other pieces are because that plays into it. But that's something nobody's talking about. It's like the coach doesn't even matter anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. would I, right? It's like when he went up to you know, the you, you, you know magic matters, but not a ton else really matters in an organization. And that was embodied in the fact that he wasn't really taking these big pitch meetings and, and yeah. sort of made a point, a, a point to say that. Like a lot of this stuff doesn't really matter to him that much. No. And I'm, I'm, you know, so you wonder, okay, who would have been the head coach? Now, if you look at it in hindsight, and this is totally hindsight because I kind of tweeted this at the time, I'm a little surprised that David Fisdale didn't wait, you know, yeah, um, uh, you know, because I mean, he uh, maybe just likes living in New York, but Fizz, I, I would assume would like living in LA. It's a lot like Miami and Fizz is a West coast guy, actually. Um, you know, that's where he went to college. That's kind of where he came up. And I'm just a little bit surprised that he wouldn't wait. So that's the one thing that makes me wonder if, you know, we talk about Kyrie knowing a year ago, if this was really such an open secret, like does David Fisdale take the Knicks job? Because I would assume that LeBron would want to play for David Fisdale over Luke but, Walton. I, but I mean, how long are you going to wait? So let's say it works out, right? Let's say the Lakers get off to a great start and everything looks fantastic, right? Which, given LeBron's history, starting in places isn't a guarantee. But mm-hmm. let's say it gets off to a great start, and you're just sitting around going, well, hang on a second. When is this going to go sour? Am I just going to, like, how much longer am I going to wait to have an, a, a crack at this job? And David Fisdale wants to get on with his career, and the New York Knicks is a really, you know, high-level, glamorous position in theory, even if it has, hasn't always worked out in, in practicality. But, yeah, I, I think coach is, is a place where, 
it's possible that it's not like Luke Walton. Luke Walton is not David Blatt. He's a coach with a ton of credibility that was an assistant on one of the greatest teams ever and, mm-hmm. you know, won, you know, 90% of his games with one of the greatest teams ever. This isn't a, a bad candidate. This isn't someone who is going to be an overwhelmingly bad personality fit with LeBron. I don't think this is David Blatt potential where he gets fired in less than a year. No, I, I don't think so. Although we've seen the Lakers and it was previous regime, but what did Mike Brown last out there? Like five games? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, basically. Uh, Mike D'Antoni was kind of now that was Kobe related and Dwight Howard related, but like Mike D'Antoni didn't last very long. They've gone through. I mean, the Lakers coaching history lately is interesting. Uh, We should take a look at that. But it's 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 interesting. And and as we know, LeBron's coaching uh, tree is interesting, too. And so we'll see if there are new assistants that are added out there. I think that can always be part of it with LeBron. Like the assistants matter to him. I, I do know. At times, he wasn't, you know, that thrilled with the staff in Miami. Um, You know, he got a lot of his guys in Cleveland. I I don't know if that was really an elite staff out there. Um, You know, you think think Vitaly Potapenko was was one of his ideas? (laughs) I think there there were a bunch of ideas up there. I just wanted to say the name Vitaly Potapenko, to be honest with you. I don't even know if you spelled it. You said it right, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. I mean, I think it might be Potapenko, but I I don't know. We'll, We'll throw that out to listeners but the other uh you know the other thing beyond Ty Lue which was clearly LeBron's idea uh was uh Damon Jones who yeah uh, you know and we love Damon in Miami but you know that you know, was Dunkey and Shrek from the, the Shaq Damon days uh, down with the heat but uh, you know Damon there's a great story with Damon because when they brought Damon in um you know they offered to uh, this is what I heard so you know uh, not 100% sure, but I'm 99% sure here, and it's a podcast, so it's fine. But basically, I heard that they offered Damon an opportunity to coach the D-League team, uh, which is not far from the Cavs. It's in Canton, so it's not like Sioux Falls from Miami, right? It's 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 literally uh, up the highway. And uh, he, his question was, is LeBron going to be there? And that was, that was, yeah, that was, that was the end of the conversation. That's what I was told. So, so, so yeah, I mean, he had some control uh, over that staff just to go through uh, head coaches since Pat Riley. Okay. So let, let's go through the Pat Riley leaves in 1990, Mike Dunleavy, Randy fund, Randy former, fund, former Miami heat GM. What? Yes. Two years. Yes, Bill Burtka, Magic Johnson. He went five and eleven. That's right, I remember that. Yeah. Ninety-four. Well, I don't remember yep. that, but I, I I heard about it. Del Harris got five years. Uh, Bill Burtka got one game. He was a longtime assistant there. Kurt Rambis, Phil Jackson, Rudy Tomjanovich, Frank Hamblin. I forgot that Frank Hamblin got a turn. Phil Jackson came back. Mike Brown. That was a total of seventy-one games, but I think it was like five games. Into well, the next. yeah, because he because he took over as an interim, right? Yes. In in in, in one of those Kobe seasons, and then started the this is going to be fun season, and did not last very long. No, he didn't last. It lasted like two weeks, and then they tried uh, to run Bernie, the Princeton offense, didn't they? Yeah, I believe they did. Maybe Mike Brown could come back. I mean, that's always it's an possible. option. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a history with LeBron, Bernie Bickerstaff, Mike D'Antoni, Byron Scott. And then Luke Walton. So that's since, and there's some interims in there, but since Pat, that's since 1990, that's 14 head coaches. Again, just to compare this a little bit, since Riley came to the Heat in 95, the Heat have had three head coaches. So it's a lot more stability in Miami than Los Angeles. This week on the Balls Cast. 
<clears throat> one of Miami's top 10 podcasts as voted by Miami New Times. We continue to talk about how everything is terrible and why it's important to vote this November because SCOTUS is on the line. We also talk about Mitch McConnell and what he looks like. And we're going to be giving away a free 30-minute wake surfing class by Miami Wake Academy. Check them out at miamiwakeacademy.com. It is super duper cool. Follow the Ballscast on Twitter at Ballscast and listen to the latest Ballscast episode for details on how to enter the contest. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Giancarlo Navas, and here at Heat Beat, we talk all things Miami Heat from the absurd. The last time I saw Dion, I want to say it was like early March. He was hanging out in the locker room and he looked like he put on a few pounds. So I know you guys are all excited about that. <laughs> to the serious. Wayne Ellington in particular was just getting caught on a screen for multiple seconds. And that just that puts so much strain on the rest of the defense. With guests ranging from some guy on Twitter named Kevin to ESPN hosts like George Sedano, we have a little something for everyone and anyone. Check us out every week here at the Five Reasons Podcast Network or find us on Twitter at MIA Heatbeat for all our updates, pods, and videos. We're running about twice as long as we expected, Chris, because there's so many elements to this. Sure. So what we're actually going to do is a part two of this tomorrow, and we'll release that one separately. So we'll get into some of the other factors, including what this means for the rest of the East, which obviously includes Miami, what the ceiling is on this Laker team. We'll touch a little bit more on Paul George as details start to come out. And then obviously we're going to have to touch on Kawhi. But the last thing I want to get into here, just in the immediate wake of the decision, is the Kobe factor. Mm. And we've talked about this on the pod, that there is this very, very competitive relationship between Kobe and LeBron um, that goes way, way back. It goes back to Kobe being threatened by LeBron when he came into the league. Because if you remember, if you go to 2003, that was right after the Lakers won three championships. So Kobe had just emerged as not just a sidekick to Shaq, but as a legitimate superstar in his own right. And so then you have this guy come in straight from high school, just like Kobe did. And unlike Kobe, LeBron was really good right away. Like Kobe was not really good right away. Like it took three years really and a bunch of air balls against the jazz in the playoffs. Like before Kobe emerged, like Eddie Jones was the second best player on those Laker teams. And Shaq was clearly the best player until Kobe developed in his third or fourth season with LeBron. He came in with Ricky Davis. Okay. Like LeBron was expected to be great right away. And so there was a natural rivalry that built between them. They were always supposed to play each other in a finals. It never happened. They had the puppets. Um, LeBron was always sort of felt, uh, a little bit of, I, I would say, melancholy about that because he wanted to play Le uh, Kobe in the finals. And then, of course, LeBron had one of his greatest playoff performances in the Eastern Conference Finals against Orlando in 2009, and he didn't get enough help, and so it wasn't enough. And so there's always been this relationship. I've told stories. I'm not going to tell them again on this one, but I've tweeted them about different interactions I had with LeBron about Kobe, which kind of showed the relationship the two of them had and that LeBron was still keeping an eye on Kobe, even though he was saying really respectful things about Kobe and, and I think believed them that he always sort of wanted to outdo Kobe, not just as a player, but also as an attraction, that that matters to LeBron. So now he's going out to Los Angeles to a franchise that has had six or seven of the greatest players in NBA history, right? Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, uh, Jabbar, Chamberlain, Kobe, 
Shaq. I know I'm missing somebody, but they've had a lot of really great players. I mean, to the point that James Worthy is one of the all-time great forwards and is maybe like eighth or ninth on the Lakers' all-time list, okay? I mean, that's the type of history that they have. And the question that I've been raising here on the podcast is, is it ever going to be enough for Laker fans? Is it ever going to be enough for Kobe fans. Like we talk about heat fans being spoiled now, right? Because the team has a couple of 44 win seasons. Like Laker fans are the most spoiled fans in the NBA. It's not close. Okay. And they also, as we've talked about are irrational about Kobe. Like you cannot show them stats. Like, these clutch stats that I always put about Kobe that show that he really wasn't that clutch on a percentage basis that LeBron in fact is much more clutch than Kobe. In fact, Dwayne is much more clutch than Kobe. And yet Kobe fans, you can show them the numbers. They won't believe it. How is that going to go for LeBron in LA? It doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. We've talked about this a lot. I, I just, I don't understand how you can be anything other than totally overjoyed. I saw like one guy tweet at Bomani Jones, like, uh, the, you know, this is kind of a sad day for Laker fans because we do want to ever see LeBron come here. And it's like, dude, get over yourself. Get over yourself. Like, this has been a moribund franchise now for five years, seeing out the end of the Kobe Bryant era, struggling to recover. They haven't won a playoff game in six years. This is a team that cannot afford, like, if they had, you know, bounced back and were a 50-win team, first off, I don't think LeBron ever goes there because you kind of need a soft landing spot. But this franchise needed saving, and LeBron has gone and saved them. Like, they they had, the Lakers, on, on the current evidence of their team, have no right to LeBron James off of what they've done in the five years preceding this move today. But because of the Lakers, because LeBron can arrive in a star-studded, you know, incredible scene in Los Angeles, can develop his business interests, almost strictly based off of location, they are getting LeBron James. But the Lakers is a franchise, what they've done, they don't deserve this. Yeah, they've got some cap space, and they can probably go and facil- facilitate a Kawhi trade. But at the moment, where they've sat the last few years, they don't deserve this. And so... It's, you're basically only getting LeBron to, to go and save your franchise because you're the Lakers. And so they need to embrace the fact that they are a winning team, right, and demand winning. But I think you have to be hugely appreciative that LeBron James has gone and bailed out your team that was not heading anywhere. Like, maybe Lonzo Ball develops into an incredible point guard. Maybe the rest of their young core filled out and, and you know, would have developed into a decent team, but they weren't competing for a championship without a move like this for a long time. And so I really think there should be a huge amount of gratitude to LeBron that he chose Los Angeles of all the teams in the league where he could have gone. He could have gone to better basketball situations. He could have gone and done something different. He chose your team to go and save your franchise from a place that was under 500 and frankly irrelevant. How many times were they on national television because they're the Lakers and it's like, wait, why am I going to sit down on a, on a TNT Thursday night and watch the 10:30 Lakers game play, you know, a, a, a meaningless team like I don't. Why am I watching this? That's been the Lakers for five years now. They have to be thanking their lucky stars that this happened. And I, I don't see how Kobe stands. Like that has to become a site. Well, a vocal minority of the fan base that just doesn't matter. Like the overwhelming majority of people who probably left right after Kobe left. Like these are people. You're gonna get a lot of people back that probably like I don't care about Lakers basketball. There's eight other professional sports teams I can go and watch in Los Angeles that that can sort of fulfill my entertainment much more than the Lakers can. 
You're getting all those people back. You lost a lot of Lakers fans probably in the last few years. Now you're getting them back. You're getting them excited. And I don't care about the 100,000 people in L.A. that are holding up their number 8 and their number 24 jerseys and clinging to them for dear life. It just doesn't matter to me. They didn't go to the other LA sports teams. They went to the Warriors, Chris. That's a good point. Um, That's a good point. They're going to have they're going to have to burn their Warriors jerseys now. You're going to yep. see a lot of Steph Curry jerseys being burned in Los Angeles. I mean, the reality is uh yes, the Lakers are still king in LA. Um the Dodgers obviously have had uh, this year hasn't been as good, but making the World Series last year, that there's a big Dodgers contingent. We've talked about the struggles that the NFL typically has there, and and you know I never really understood bringing two teams there because of that. But uh, look, um, uh, you take a look at at their history. Yes, they have embraced the next thing, right? Because I mean, we're going back. Like again, look at the top seven guys in points in Laker history: Kobe, Jerry West, Kareem, Elgin Baylor, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, and Shaq. Okay, like it it is ridiculous. And so, yes, they moved on from Jerry West to and and Wilt to Kareem. Uh, they moved on, you know, Kareem to Magic in terms of him being the face of the franchise. They moved on uh, from Magic to Shaq, and then. From to Shaq with Kobe. So uh, they have moved on before, but I'm telling you, the Kobe stands are different, man. Like it's not, I understand. not like the, they're not like the magic stands. Like it, it's, it, it is, it is another level of irrationality. And I, I but I do think, yes, it's going to be a huge show, obviously. I mean, it's going to, and, and this, I, you know, what's interesting to me is getting back to Miami. I think it's going to, in some ways, it's going to bother Heat fans more than the Cleveland thing because the Cleveland thing bothered Heat fans because Heat fans, rightly so, like didn't get it because they were like, why is he going back to someone who treated him like, I mean, let's just be honest, like property, right? Like there are other words we can use for it. Sure. But the, the letter that he wrote, um, you know, and, and, and all of that, like for Heat fans were like, I don't get this. Like we, we took care of you. We, everybody hated you. We defended you. We did memes, you know, about Skip Bayless. Okay, like we, like, like we went out there on a limb for you. And not only that, the organization embraced you, right? Like Mick Harrison didn't act like Dan Gilbert acted, right? Like all, all of that put together. And so Heat fans didn't get it. They were frustrated by it. They're like, we don't, we don't deserve this, and you don't deserve this. Like you deserve better. You deserve what we gave you, not what you got in Cleveland. We remember December 2nd, 2010, which as Ron Rothstein and Mario Chalmers and Udonis Haslam have told us on the, on the pod was like one of the scariest nights of their life. And I was there, so I know, okay, it was. And so they didn't really get it. Like, why, why is he going back to that place, to that owner, to those fans? And that bothered Heat fans, understandably. I think what's going to bother Heat fans in this case is that it was a huge show in Miami and it's going to be a bigger show in L.A. Because it's Can L.A. I- can, can I very quickly uh, bring late breaking news to the program? Mm-hmm. We have a uh, a podcast. We I don't believe this has ever happened before. We have news breaking in the middle of a podcast. This is from Shams Charania. The Los mm-hmm. Angeles Lakers continue to build LeBron, LeBron James with. Are you have you have you seen this yet? I know. Oh, Surprise me, Lance Stevenson. <laughs> Lance Stevenson is a Laker. Oh my God! The, uh, th- this now sounds less like a free agent signing and more like reality show casting. The, 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 this is Hollywood getting ready for a Lakers TV show, which I'm now prepared for. I'm now prepared for a Lakers reality show following the team, and why not bring in Lance Stevenson? When does Rodman of all, show of all up? People, I mean, when, who, who who could they have brought in that was worse? Rodman. 
Yeah. Um, well, no, I'm, I'm trying, saying, like, active. Like, more villainous. Like, because Le- Stevenson was doing it again to, to LeBron in these playoffs. Like, you know, well, I mean, the Heat tried it with Josh McRoberts uh, in terms of getting, you know, players that have had antagonistic relationships with LeBron. But I can't think of anyone in the league who has a more antagonistic relationship with LeBron than Lance Stevenson. I mean, just listen to our Udonis Haslam pod, right? <laughs> <laughs> what right, he told yeah. Lance Yeah, L- Lou Amundsen, maybe. I, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. Um. Look, it's it's amazing, but you're going to see things like this. But again, they don't make that move unless LeBron signs off right, on it, yeah, right? Yeah, so, no, I mean, it, this is – but this is what I'm getting at, though. This is going to be – and it's going to bother Heat fans, but it's L.A., man. It's gonna the national show. media is going to love this. Sto- they're going to love this story. They're going to love it because, as you said, they've got a I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they'll love it necessarily so much. They're, they're just they're going g- to talk about the hell out of it. Like, they're gonna, like they, they're they love gonna, the content. They're going to they love the content, right? This basically look, we talk about the struggles that ESPN is having, right? And a lot of them are not their fault. OK, it's it's about cord cutting and all the other things we talk about. But they just built a studio in the last couple of years in Los Angeles and they, they even do a sports center from Los Angeles now. Right. And mm-hmm. so yeah, they do the jump out of there. They do their NBA show out of there. Right. I mean, this is all perfect content for them. And it's going to piss off Heat fans yeah. because all the celebrities we saw at the Heat games here are going to be dwarfed by what you yeah. see in Los by Angeles. By a factor of ten, by a factor it, of a hundred. It's gonna it's gonna be frustrating, like, and I get like it. They're they're going to be a list celebrities in section one eighteen, row twenty. Like right. like they're. It's not it's not it's not going to be Florida. Like it's going to be. <laughs> I mean, it's I not mean, going to be Anna Kordakova for forty fourth consecutive home game. Right. Uh, I mean, so I, that's going to be frustrating for Heat fans. But here's what, how we'll close. And then we're going to get to part two of this tomorrow. We'll touch on how this affects uh, the Heat, Boston, Philly. I, I, Toronto, I would say Boston. under the umbrella of more of a we'll get to the basketball side of things tomorrow. We'll get to the best. We, we haven't done a ton of that. But I, but to me, Heat fans should take this away. OK, your four years with LeBron were more fun than the four years in Cleveland. I think we established that on a previous pod. Sure. And ultimately, ultimately, the national media may not see it this way. Ultimately, they were more successful because he won two championships in Miami and he won one in Cleveland. And we can talk about all the other factors and the Warriors and everything else that came up there. But, you know, as Bill Parcells, who failed miserably in Miami, said, you are what your record says you are. His record was better in Miami. So take that for what you can, because I'm telling you, people are now going to really forget the Miami years. And now... and, and and right and and that was the point that I was going to make. I'll be the negative one to say, but the Miami years will end up being less memorable and less mm-hmm. significant to the career of LeBron and to LeBron himself than winning the 2016 Finals back from three one down to have Cleveland their first championship in 50 years. Just as a sporting story, you just want the Heat beat guys to hate you. That's all. Yep. That's yeah, that's, that's correct. That, I, I, <laughs> I just want Harrison to to send me a direct message. Why do you want everyone to hate you? Well, I that, want everyone to hate me. That's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. But I will say it again. The best version of LeBron James was Miami 2012-2013, and he won there's, two championships. There's no doubting it. I, and look, man, some of the most memorable sporting years of my life, There, I mean, maybe this Lakers scene will, will, will look something like those first years with, without the pressure, without the real negativity. But, uh, but I think 
this scene will look something like that. I actually think, in some respects, it'll kind of make Heat fans reminisce a little bit. Some of the, I, I think some of that kind of anger has dissipated a little bit over four years. But uh, the, the the scene that it, it's going to look a lot like Miami did without a lot of the snarling negativity, which I think will be fun for the neutral. But I, I, I don't think that – I think Miami fans will have a bit of a, of a persecution complex. Well, hang on a second. Why is this so much better than what happened in Miami? Mm-hmm. And here's what Heat fans can do while they're waiting for the Heat to figure this thing out. Just root for the Warriors. I mean, that's the easiest <laughs> thing to do. Right? Or the Rockets. And that, or, that's well, the, that, the Rockets that's aren't going to be that good next year, but that's a that's a topic for another pod. They lose they lose Capella. They've already lost Ariza. I I mean they're going to be have good. They lo- have they lost Capella yet? Not yet, but if they yeah. do, if they yeah, do, sure. um, they, they're going to look a whole lot different. But anyway, we've we've covered enough on sure. this one. Again, subscribe to all the other podcasts in our network: uh, Miami Heat beat three yards per carry, Ballscast, and Pitch Invasion. And we will come to you with another part on LeBron tomorrow. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.